Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. Uh, thank you for clicking play on this particular episode. I'm excited for uh, what I have to share this morning. I always enjoy these times of getting together uh, and being able to think out loud and share what's been on my mind over the last several days or weeks or what have you, whenever this episode publishes. I hope that you have found these encouraging, um, and I hope that you have found some blessing and some enrichment uh, throughout some of the topics we've been able to cover. Um, It's been a uh, interesting first sort of half of this year um, as we are nearing the end of July, uh, and it's been um, quite a year. <laughs> 2022 has been quite uh, a year of reckoning in a lot of ways, and it seems as if um, it's kind of been that way for a couple years, actually. Uh, and it just seems as if we are continually in this mode of seeing things break down and crumble. And yet, it, at the same time, we uh, hold and hold dear and cling to the promise that all of these things are happening according to the word of the Lord, which is the only thing that I think can uh, allow us to get through days in which we find ourselves now. So I'm going to speak a little bit to that in a moment about a couple of different things regarding the Southern Baptist Convention and actually a couple of helpful articles from uh, a a fellow Substack writer, Randall Greenwald, um, writing about the efficiency or perhaps how we regard it inefficiency of God. So I want to talk about that uh, in just a minute. So before we get to all of that good stuff, let us go to our sponsor, hear a word from them, and then we will get on with the rest of the show. Thank you. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to Central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. So what about this? Well, uh, if you are up on all of your sort of church scuttlebutt, uh, if you are, uh, you know, reading the blogospheres and reading all of the different news stories that come out about different church denominations, which if you are, then you are probably likely disillusioned by some of what you read, you perhaps are already aware of much of the scandal and 
really awful reporting that has come out regarding the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, the largest sort of evangelical conservative denomination in the United States, perhaps even the world. And um, they, this convention seems to be burning. Um, reports of awful cases of abuse and covers up, covers, cover-ups of abuse from all over the denomination. There is a lot of division. There's a lot of scandal, all of which just seems to make this denomination appear fragile and thin, uh, and they seem to be existing on a lot of thin ice. Um, I'm kind of, at this particular moment, if I can share and be frank, I'm kind of glad that I, as an independent Baptist pastor, am not within the Southern Baptist Convention. I've known several friends and acquaintances who have decided to leave after they have continually seen the SBC sort of slide into areas that they shouldn't be sliding into. Um, And I think all of this just leads to this incredible sort of realization that I think for all of the good the SBC has done throughout its rich and storied, and perhaps even at times troubled history, I think what we are seeing in this particular moment is an example of what happens when your faith is married to your politics. And I think that goes both ways, both for conservative Southern Baptists and for liberal Southern Baptists. I would say uh, what we're seeing is sort of the ends of that program, the ends of that project to have your faith and your politics so intermarried that they become almost one, which I think is something uh, that is untenable at best. It is something that cannot exist or coexist when you take Scripture alone by itself. Not and, and, And don't mistake me, I'm not trying to say that Scripture is apolitical or anything like that, that it doesn't make political stances, but the ways in which we often uh, sort of uh, posture political stances in our day and age um, are often antithetical towards what Scripture posits. And I think at the base level, at least this is from, this is my perspective, from an outsider looking in, this sort of reckoning of the SBC, if you will, with pastors and church leaders being uh, sort of raked over the coals, both by the larger evangelical sort of culture, but not just that, but by popular culture as well. I think you're seeing what happens when a church denomination loosens its moorings on the Word of God above everything else. Um, this, I think, is what you what you have here. Um, the Word of God becomes just another tool in the toolbox, so to speak, instead of the primary weapon of faith, and not just weapon, the primary mooring of faith, the primary bastion of faith is this Word of God, the revealed Word of God in which we are told the news of our Savior, but also, along with that, the news of our Redeemer, the news of our Rescuer. And I think, in large part, uh, you're seeing the results when a entire denomination uh, lets their grip of that word sort of loosen, uh, not be as firm and as tight as it once was.
Um, and I think that this can cause a lot of consternation by a lot of church folk. It's always concerning when you see churches and church leaders fail and crumble. Um, and I'm not trying to posit that the SBC is going to crumble to nothing. Um, but I would even say, even if it does, that is not necessarily bad news. Um, I think something that I've learned and something that I've come to cling to over the last several years, if you will, um, is just this idea that even if we, various churches, church denominations, church structures and organizations, uh, rise and fall, the gospel of God never rises or falls. It is always persistent. It is always present. It is always consistently there. Um, and so, yes, even if churches close their doors, the gospel of God will continue to sound. Um, God always has a remnant of those who cling to his word above all else. He promises that his good news, that his words cannot be snuffed out, uh, no matter how, how hard man tries, no matter how hard man fails. God's good news, the tremendous news that the grace of the Lord Jesus has been poured out on those who believe and that as such the kingdom of our dear Father is coming to this earth, that is news which is not just news that depends on us, it's news which depends on the Father. It is news at that, which means it's just something that is going to happen. It's not uh, a possibility. Uh, the gospel of God's kingdom is not a potential. It doesn't promise the potentiality of a kingdom. It promises a kingdom that's coming, whether the SBC stands or not, whether other church leaders stand or not, whether other church organizations rise or fall. Um, there is a tremendous hope we can find, and I think we can cling to, when we realize that, yes, some of the good things that man has done eventually fall to the dust, and they are no more. And yet what doesn't fall to the dust is the word of the Lord, which persists forever. I'm, for one, really thankful um, that even in this seeming time, where the SBC is getting exposed for the ways in which it has mishandled matters of injustice, I'm thankful that there is a great, greater and truer judge who is on the throne, who even in these particular instances is still dealing perfectly with our world. And in these particular moments, it might be hard to see, but his word is abiding forever even when it appears fractured, even when it appears as if uh, the church has fumbled that word. And, you know, I think that's a good segue into what I've been preaching on recently. You know, I, I've been going through the books of First and Second Kings for quite a while now, and uh, I'm nearing the end. I'm nearing the end of Second Kings, and I'm thankful for all that I have been able to learn and ascertain and... Um, uh, just glean from these wonderful, winding, and rich narratives of history. Uh, the one thing, though, that I have come away with most, uh, most particularly, is just this overriding fact that the that the thing, the driving force of history, is 
none other than the Word of God itself. That's what sustains our days. That's what keeps us going in these times of upheaval and disruption when we see churches or politicians in scandal, when we see news that hits our faces and comes into our eyes and we see just how devastating man's corruption truly is, the word which keeps us is the word of the Father. Over and over again throughout the books of First and Second Kings, you're going to see this phrase appear, and it appears often that these things happened according to the word of of the Lord. And whether it be the great and tremendous outpouring of blessing, or whether it be the awful and terrible outpouring of judgment, it is God's word which upholds and sustains these days. And I would say that that is the same for our own day. Our day is not outside the realm or the scope or the reach of that authoritative word. Instead, rather, that word is very much still on the throne, still persisting, still maintaining all of these days with perfect and inimitable wisdom. And such is the wisdom that we are banking on, the wisdom that we are trusting in, the wisdom that we are resting in to get through these days. Um, I won't lie, it's not easy to see what's going on and feel dismayed, feel distressed, feel worn out. But I think if there's something I've learned from First and Second Kings, it is that the world has always been weary of sin. And yet, at the same time, that weariness is perfectly sort of alleviated, perfectly remedied in the wisdom of God, which persists throughout all of these days of dismay and distraction and distress and disintegration, Um, reading about king after king after king in the histories of Israel and Judah, fail, uh, be sort of in the line of promise and still fumble that promise with just egregious results. We can see that pattern play out over and over again. And what do we always learn? It is that God's word abides forever. And all of these things happen according to that word. And even today, that holds true. I'm thankful for that word which abides when history seems to be harrowing and horrific. There's a word that holds together all these days, and it's the everlasting word of the Father. I'm thankful for that, and I pray that you are as well. What am I reading lately? Uh, I want to share with you uh, and just link to it, and just I'll talk about it just briefly, ever so briefly. But uh, there's a great little blog um, called "Today I Found Out," which he just goes through and talks about things that he found out and uh, random topics from the history of curse words to the history of board games to all kinds of stories. And uh, recently on Today I Found Out, the author detailed the very winding but historical tracks of J.R.R. Tolkien's mythology. As you may be aware, I am a very much a fan of Tolkien's works in The Lord of the Rings, but even in his extended sort of works of this mythology that he was crafting. And I think that that creates this sort of very uh, sort of pertinent backdrop by which to understand what Tolkien, Tolkien was doing 
throughout all of these writings, he was adamant that the people of England had a mythology for themselves, one that they could look to and see sort of the, the ensigns and the tokens of their own history and days. And that's sort of what he's doing throughout the works of the Lord of the Rings. And this a uh, wonderful essay sort of tracks that and traces the ways in which Tolkien was influenced by other mythologies and the ways in which he sort of launched off of other mythologies themselves. So uh, I invite you to read it. It's great if you're a Tolkien uh, aficionado or enthusiast, so I think you'll find that uh, pretty helpful and beneficial. But speaking of helpful, um, I know I have talked about him before, uh, but I would like to commend to you the newsletter of Randall Greenwald, a fellow Substack newsletter writer. Uh, his is called Greatheart's Table, which is just a wonderfully uh, readable uh, newsletter that often gives pastors help. These are just very practical, short briefs that speak towards pastoral helps and wisdom and insights and encouragements and sometimes, yes, even discipline. But I think what he gets at is that pastors need uh, somewhere to go to be heard, but also to have their lives enriched. And so Greatheart's Table is uh, just that. And he spent some time over the course of a couple of articles talking about this idea of efficient ministry and what makes for a ministry to be truly, quote, efficient. And I think it's, it's, it's not really what at first you, you might think. When you think of efficiency, you think of perhaps an assembly line in a warehouse where everything happens according to timing, according to effort, and everything is granularly and minutely ordered. That's what efficiency looks like. But I like what Randall says because this efficiency is not really the efficiency of God. It's the efficiency of God, as he will go on to say, looks, looks like something else. He writes this quote in one article, quote, Efficiency for many of us is a cardinal virtue. Everything around us, our cars, our companies, our churches, our families must be efficient. We never want to be charged with being inefficient. We worship efficiency. But efficiency is the language of the factory, not of life. God's work among us and our work in the church is not to be measured with the scrutiny of the assembly line. Rather, that which appears inefficient in God may, in fact, be a subcategory of his wisdom, and wisdom is a comfort, even if inscrutable, end quote. Efficiency, as sort of Randall here is articulating, is the language of law. It is this or you die. It is this or you fail. Do this and live. Don't do this and you will crumble and fall. Efficiency falls into that line of articulation and expression. And efficiency at all costs is the direct opposer of grace. And I think he gets at this even more uh, acutely in a follow-up article where he writes, quote, God is similarly efficient. Nothing is wasted. Moses messed up his commission in Egypt and spent 40 years on the backside of Sinai pushing sheep around. Those years were not wasted. Jonah took a cruise in sinful defiance of God's command. God did not waste that either. 
It became a central part of his story, shaping him and assuring him that salvation is of the Lord. Jesus took his disciples across the lake just so that they could rest. Leaving those who needed the gospel for some quiet recreation was not a waste. God wastes nothing, but we fear we do. We hear the voices of our critics and of the well-meaning spiritual mentors who who push us to be in the will of God and not waste our lives. Anything judged trivial or in some way not contributing to the mission of the church becomes the forbidden thing. We are not free to binge-watch WandaVision because that letter to our unsaved college roommate is not going to write itself. We are to be busy and be focused and be disciplined and we grow weary and grim. God's efficiency frees us to simply live and it allows us to simply be loved. That we become Christ-like in the deepening fruit of the spirit-cultivated virtue is of greater interest to God than the fact that you fall asleep on the couch playing The Legend of Zelda last night. That God works all things to the end that we be conformed to the image of his Son is of greater importance than whether we've made all the right career choices. God weighs nothing It is not a waste for you to redirect your life, to write that novel, or to build that pond in your backyard if these things bring you joy. And joy is the kindest gift of the God who wastes nothing. End quote. I'm so moved by this thought. This idea that we have to be constantly on, constantly moving, constantly be working, constantly efficient little good Christian boys and girls. It sounds virtuous, but it is actually deafening deafening and defeating and lethal. You see, I think what Rendell gets at here is truly a joy, truly a gift. It is that the gospel frees us to, if I can say this, waste our lives banking on and trusting in and reveling in the efficiency of God, not our efficiency. Not the ways in which we have mastered and crafted our well-ordered lives. But in the ways in which he efficiently brings all things together for good according to his purposes. Whether it seems efficient in the time and in the moment or not. You see, the command, the burden to never waste your life is one that you cannot shoulder. There's only one that Christ can bear. There's only one that he can ensure. Only he, Christ alone, can ensure and promise and guarantee that nothing in this life is ever wasted, including those moments of trial, those moments of disruption and upheaval and suffering. Case in point, the year of COVID, the year that shall not be named, even that was not a waste. And it seems like it, doesn't it? It seems like that was an incredibly inefficient year. Not much was accomplished. We were forced to stay in home because of political lockdowns. And whether they be true or no, whether the science that we were supposed to trust in or not was really trustworthy, that whole year feels like a waste. What did it do? And yet we trust and we believe in one thing. And it's the same thing that I spoke to earlier. It is that all of these things occur according to the word of the Lord, which is perfect, perfectly, uh, infinitely, eternally 
efficient, working all things according to the good and beloved promises and purposes of God the Father. I think, I think there's something to cling to in all that. It's the gracious efficiency of God, which sometimes doesn't feel that way, but we trust that it is. And it brings me to this last quote that I want to leave you with. It's from that book of preacher's catechisms from Lewis Allen. I spoke about it last week, that book, and I'll link to it again. But he writes in a perfectly sort of summation of what we've just talked about in this efficiency of God. He writes, quote, Preaching, even preaching that looks like it's crashing and burning, is never a waste in God's purposes. Indeed, preaching, sharing the gospel... It's never a waste, even if you feel like you've flubbed, even if you feel like you have not done justice to that word. God promises that his word never returns void, because indeed his word abides forever. I want to leave you with that. My friends, waste your life banking on the efficiency of God. Don't try and Don't try and rigmarole your own lives according to your own efficiency. Spend it trusting in the gracious efficiency of God the Father. Thanks for listening. I hope you have been blessed by this episode. I hope you'll subscribe if you aren't already to Ministry Minded on Apple, Spotify, right here on Substack and other resources. I so appreciate all of your encouragement and your support. You are such a blessing to me, and I hope that these episodes can be a blessing to you. Thank you, and I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.